Okay, shall we begin now? No, I, I, we've already started, Nick. No, we haven't. That, I can't, I'm not in the mood Oh, don't do, do the usual, totally ooh, we're doing the pre-recording thing, ooh, but I'm going to broadcast it. Can we just actually You've start? done that to me over and over again. Can we just start recorded me podcast? in private and then blackmailed me yeah. with it, so... Well, uh, that was your own sin. <laughs> this is yours. Can we just start a podcast properly at one stage, you know? One day, one day. Uh, episode 115 will start properly. We'll start properly with a good afternoon, good afternoon, and none of this, ooh, we're doing the pre-recording, here's our blooper reel, aren't we wacky folks? None of that nonsense, it annoys people. It doesn't annoy me. It annoys me a bit. There's a lot of background noise on my microphone, I've tested it, it's just the noise of a, of a, of a slightly airy room. But, uh... No, your room is always problematic, and I've told you about that, um, and you don't try to baffle it, you leave your very loud jet engine, high-bypass turbofan computer on, and <laughs> then you wonder why there's some noise on your microphone. It's shocking, isn't it? Sorry, I'm feeling that you're very wretched today, maybe that's... My <laughs> what have I done that's wretched? We were having a very nice chat before we started recording. I know, that was better, we shouldn't have bothered doing the podcast. We were having a, a lovely podcasty chat before. But it, you're, so just, you're just cross because you, I, I'm going to include the bit where you said you can't be bothered to do this. No, but I'm also cross that you're forcing us to go on Skype again. I am, that's not true, it's your fault this time. Uh, no, I was at your place last time. I know. It was your turn to come down, and then you decided to get dysentery instead. I did, didn't I? And then, unlike a normal person, you kept your dysentery for about a week and a half. Actually, it's totally normal. Apparently, when you have any of the big four food poisonings... The uh, big four. It's, that's what the doctor called them. It's perfectly normal for them to last for a week. It was probably salmonella or one of its ilk. How did you get it? Uh, it seems that it was a pizza. Well, why were you eating well, pizzas? I'll tell you why. It's the first time I've had pizza in, in an enormous amount of time, and it was because I was having to stay up all night for work. And I thought, excuse. I will have a treat. And it was a stupid treat that I regret deeply. And Jesus has punished you for exactly. eating all those awful yes. refined carbs. Well done, Jesus. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> it's true. Podcast at rumdoings.com if you've ever had food poisoning. No, I really. Here's what I I really hate being a person who even mentions food poisoning because people tend to go if they if they throw up or if they have uh, the pops, our Twitter handle is at rum doings. They go, oh, I've, had, I've got food poisoning. It must have been that sandwich I had, and they they start playing food poisoning detective, where they go back and just and they go, well, I can't eat that food anymore just yeah. because they happened to pick up a stomach bug that day that their body flushed out. Yeah, drives me crazy. So I'm very reluctant to even acknowledge the concept of food poisoning, but the doctor insisted. Well, uh, like hay fever, I, I think you've railed against it in the past. This is true. And uh, my doctor, this GP, he's of course he's only going to be at the surgery for three months. That's how you can tell they're good. Mm. Um, but he's brilliant. So I asked him, because I got told... Um, I, f- I, I went to see an emergency doctor on, uh, on the Saturday, because I'd had... I'd had the diarrhoea for so long, and all the medication says, go see a doctor if it carries on after... This is episode days. 108. Uh, you're you're the wretched one today, Nicholas. Um, and so I and she, I went to this this GP on Saturday, and she said, uh, "Carry on not eating. Don't eat anything." I hadn't eaten for like two days, not a thing, and I was very hungry. And she said, "But drink things like Lucasade and and lemonade." Right, that's her advice. Anything with AIDS in it. Indeed. On the Sunday, I telephoned NHS Direct because I just wanted someone to give me permission to eat because I was so... Do you want to explain to our American listeners what an NHS Direct are? Oh, it's uh, a a phone line uh, provided by our free healthcare service where you can... No, it's a a socialised death camp healthcare service. I apologise. And speak to a healthcare professional and if in need be, they'll pass you on to a nurse or a doctor. Um, And so... uh, yeah, so I phoned up and this, the lady said to me, OK, well, what you need to do is you need to keep eating. She said, it's very out of date. The idea of not eating when you have diarrhoea is very out of date advice. You need to keep eating. But what you should do is avoid all fizzy drinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, good. So when I, when I saw the, my, my GP on, uh, in the week, because uh, it still hasn't got better by Tuesday, um, I said to him, and I'm going to have to say a swear, Nick, I do apologise. Well, you, you, can, you can say something that rhymes with a swear. No, I'm just going to swear. Ben no. Goldacre was allowed to. So, I know he's a doctor, so and this guy was a doctor too, so it's, it's only fair to quote. He said, um, I, I said, so I explained that situation about the two contradicting pieces of advice, and he said, ah, oh, he said, well, what you've got to know is that uh, that's all bollocks. Hmm. 
Um, and he explained no one has the faintest idea what to do with diarrhea. No one knows whether eating or not is good or bad. He said, in the main, it's your to body. To be honest, you, you could say that about 97.3, again, 97.3 LBC percent <laughs> of, of all medicine. Perhaps. Nobody and really said, knows what they're doing, and they sort of improvise and sound yeah. impressive using Greek and Latin words. And he said, so, you know, your body really knows what it's doing. Keep eating, and if you can't, if your body keeps rejecting the food, have make sure you keep your liquids up, but keep, you know put food in your tummy would decide what to do whether it's good or bad isn't not really any advice he said and he said all the rest is, well, is shit <laughs> i thought you're the best gp i've ever met did you um continue eating yeah I, from then i started eating and, and pretty instantly felt better but of course it had been a week by then so that could yeah. be pure coming. so you so you put all your weight back on i haven't actually i've kept about five six pounds off well keep it off do my best okay um talking about um diarrhea have you been watching the Leveson uh, inquiry of late? <laughs> yes, I have. Oh, the topic, before we discuss that, the topic today is... Oh, yes, sorry, the appro- topic Appropriately is... based on your particular happenstances of late, should pasties be available on the National Health Service? Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, so the Leveson inquiry, I haven't been watching it because, I, unlike you, I, I work, but I have... I don't believe been... you, because uh, you, you work from home an awful lot. And you could not in the last few days. I've been very busy. I've had an extremely busy week, as you can see from my output on the website. But you can still have it rumbling along in the background. I actually couldn't watch most of yesterday's because um, I was working so hard all the afternoon that I couldn't. Aren't you a hard work distraction, Mister Martyr? Yeah. I didn't see that you had any articles published on Nature's website. I know, but then I'm not really a scientist. You pretend to be. You pretend to be a gameologist. That's right. That's what I put on my business cards. (laughs) <laughs> Professor of Gameology. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, you, I don't know whether we need to describe to our American listeners what Levitz is, but basically, some journalists have been naughty. They decided to investigate it and found. And what's I'm not actually in, that interested in journalists being naughty because journalists have been naughty since the Victorian press and and before that. What does interest me is how corrupt the politicians have been in regard to their relationship with the naughty journalists. Um, yes. Now, everybody, even in the US, has heard of Rupert Murdoch. And <laughs> what with this being an American citizen and all? I don't think he's a citizen of anywhere, is he? He's managed to sort I'm of... I'm fairly sure he's an American. I think that the presence of Fox News in America has probably brought the attention of Mr Murdoch to most people yeah. in the colonies. So, yeah. So, basically, I mean, he's been trying to buy everything in the United Kingdom. I think that's mm-hmm. about a good summary of it. He tried to buy my trousers. Yeah. And he and the government had to pretend that they were going to analyse whether that would be a good idea in a quasi-judicial capacity. Sadly, um, they couldn't find anyone in the government who wasn't a big mate of his, except for one guy, a grumpy old Lib Dem man, whom they quickly kicked out and then gave to a gave well, the position we should say judgment back to a friend of, of his. It's an, it's an interesting Mr. Hunt. It's an interesting story why they kicked Vince Cable out, because he was stung by a Daily Telegraph newspaper investigation. Yes. Um, was it the Times? I forget. Where they went in and... Uh, I think it was the Telegraph, because I remember that people say, big irony, Telegraph, you've just given Murdoch a lot more power, because of course the Telegraph isn't owned by Murdoch. Well, it, it wasn't the Telegraph, that's what's so interesting. So they went in and they sent some reporters undercover into his one of his local GP surgeries, and G- GP surgeries, it's not a GP. No, GP, <laughs> MP surgeries, I do yeah. apologise. And said, uh, you know, what are you going to do about Murdoch? And he said, they're record- secretly recording him, and he said something like, I'm going to do my best to destroy Rupert Murdoch, I'm, he's my enemy, and so on and so on. Um, they released a whole bunch of this information, but they didn't release that bit. They instead leaked that to the BBC, and the BBC reported it. Of hmm. all the stupid things they could possibly have done, went, oh, oh, this is a great exclusive for us that the newspaper hasn't printed. Let's do our absolute best to ensure Murdoch has more powers against us. Yeah. So of course, as any responsible government did, they removed it from somebody who clearly was not disinterested, and gave it to somebody who was disinterested and had no relationship with Murdoch None at, at all. all. Had no I mean, opinions. He, he had, he just four hours before he received the appointment, he texted. Uh, James Murdoch to congratulate him on how close they were to getting this deal to go through. But otherwise, other than and, oh, and he'd written memos and expressed his uh, passion for this deal to go through without any question, and had rejected the op- opportunities to 
have it go through off but apart from oh, that- oh yeah no, and oh. also the bits where he said how he was going to make sure it went through by jumping through various loopholes and wheedling and so on but other than that and, and oh apart from the bit where he contacted the Prime Minister to let him know make very clear his position that he was in favour of the deal being in- and, and where the Prime Minister agreed yeah yes apart- and the and the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer as well Oh, and the Chancellor of Exchequer talked about how he would help to push it through. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that really but apart from all that, he was um, an clearly going to be good in a quasi-judicial capacity. Exactly, but uh, but he said yesterday in the inquiry he would put all those he'd put yes yes he had indeed um, sent these texts and, and memos and so forth, but he would put all that aside, so it's okay. Yes, you have raped all those women, but let's put that aside and put you in charge of the counselling service. <laughs> so. We're in this extraordinary situation where, at the end of this day, in which the text that he sent hours before the appointment was made was made clear, are, are a few days later after it was revealed that Cameron knew that Hunt was going to pass this through without any question. And all this became clear and apparent. We spent the weekend... But John, it was clear and apparent right at that very second that he was given the appointment before we even knew these texts had happened. That was what was so ludicrous about this whole game. It is such a game. Everybody knew that Hunt uh, liked to lick Rupert Murdoch's uh, flaccid old anus. And they knew that for some time. And yet yet we had to pretend that he was going to be honourable when we knew he wasn't. The the game of it is what annoys me. Yes, and despite all of this... We spent the weekend fussing over whether Baroness Varsi had paid her rent or not. A mm. complete non-story of absolute unimportance. A, a, a tiny PS to the expenses scandals. Allowing the whole Cameron thing that was the big story on Friday to just vanish over the weekend. And then last night Cameron said, well, I think it's perfectly clear that, uh, that Hunt did nothing wrong and therefore I'm not going to pursue this any further. And everyone goes, oh, OK. OK then. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and and, Lu- and uh, Louise mentioned was Louise Bagshaw, who is a new MP, who showed some initial promise but has since gone wretched. Um, basically, before Hunt appeared before the committee, said, oh, he'll be completely vindicated, mm-hmm. then was sort of quite silent during the committee, and then afterwards said, see, I told you, he's completely vindicated. So what there seems to be is that the uh, to be on message at the moment, uh, I suspect Tory Central Office has simply told everybody simply to say, oh, look, it's fine, and therefore it will be fine. It's a fascinating amount of, of spin that's going on where if you just say something often enough, it becomes the commonplace. Can we all agree that we should refer to Louise Mensch as Louise Untermensch? That would be problematic. Because you'd be suggesting that she's not human. I know. Yeah. I just want to use some Nazi Rachel ideology. Oh, okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) It is an ironic name that she has for herself now, Mm. Mensch. Yeah. Well, she's not a mensch, that's the problem. Well, exactly, that's what I'm saying. That's what irony means, Nick. No, because in Yiddish, when somebody's a mensch, it means they're a, they're a decent, solid person. How come it's a German word if it's in Yiddish? They come from the same root. I see. But the proto-Germanic languages were from both Yiddish and German derived. So a person of integrity and honour. So if you, say, if you ever hear a Jew say... You know that John Walker, he's he's a real mensch. You take that as a compliment. It sounds insulting, though, doesn't it, when it, when it's said that way? Well, not to my oh, ears. He's a real mensch. No, you, but no, but you, you know, but you say, oh, he's certainly not a mensch. Um, you know, just a, a, a good, humane person of solid integrity, a mensch. So there you are. According to Wikipedia, it's a according to Wikipedia, it's a loan word in, into American English. Yeah, it's already, it's, it's used in America. But when will they have to give it back? Um, I think the lease expires in 2024. So did you see yesterday that the music industry has once again suffered enormously with a 2.9% increase in profits? Yeah, exactly. I think what that will need is massive new draconian laws to stop people from being. Well, that's right. We, need, we really need you to crack down on, on the continuing existence of some people. There's too much being going on, and from being comes freedom, and from freedom comes piracy. Therefore, we need to stop all the being. And have you seen uh, O2 customers alone are to receive letters from Bendover's film production company um, seeking, uh, I think it's a mi- they, they, were, they were trying to get a minimum of £700 per, black ma- per, per blackmail. <laughs> but the High Court has told them they have to handle, handle each case 
by case. Um, they can't just blanket oh. send out demands for £700 or will make it very clear in public that you watch it, Ben Dover's it, porn movies. Oh, do you know what's very interesting? I think it's this this guy. Um, ben Dover, mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. Benjamin Dover, <laughs> yes. has a son. Okay. Okay. And you've seen his son perform, act. You've watched a film, or rather a series with his son. Do you know what it was? No, I don't. I'll give you a clue. He has mm-hmm. a very peculiar name, like something something Honey Badger. <laughs> that doesn't help. I don't know. I think you. I think you will uh, be surprised. Outnumbered, the oldest child is Ben Dover's son. No. I believe so. No. Do you want to look that up? I do, but it'll be lots of clicky-clacking on the podcast. Go on, do some clicky-clacking. Okay. Outnumbered is a sitcom we've talked about before. That shouldn't be good, and yet it breaks all the rules. It breaks all the rules. I didn't know that Ben Dover was English. I I mean, he's certainly the son of some porn star. I mean, I think it's Ben Dover. You know, there's so many porn stars in... English porn stars in in the public realm that uh, it's difficult to tell which one, but I believe it is. Mr. Benjamin Dover's son. Tiger Drew Honey. Indeed. Um, let's see. He is... I told you this. Personal life. He attends Epsom College in Surrey, England. His parents are adult movie director Simon Lindsay Honey, best known for his role as the bumbling, slightly confused porn character Ben Dover. Yeah. And ex-glamour model and UK editor of Penthouse magazine, Lindsay Drew. So imagine both your parents were porn people. Okay. Okay. It's it's a it must be a weird dynamic. Lindsay Drew was in an American Werewolf in London. Yeah, but it must be a weird dynamic to know that you know both your both your parents are porn actors, and for all you know, some of your friends in the playground may have gotten off to watching. Well, how about I mean, even I, worse? I, that would be a Freudian nightmare. How about even worse? You may have been conceived during one of the shootings. Indeed, as part oh. of a shooting. Oh dear, yeah. I've just googled Lindsay Drew, and she, she's not an attractive uh, naked lady. In my, to my eye, racist. I have just seen her bottom hole rather close up, though. So I close right. that down now. No, but that's the point. I mean, yes, indeed. <laughs> I've seen your mum's front bottom. I've seen her fluff box. But I mean, it must be very unlikely that he has gotten away with not seeing it. You know, because just just with, with all the films, and I imagine they they probably had the DVDs given to them, edited, whatever. Plus, all his friends would, I'm sure, make a point of printing things out. So, my goodness, it must be a psychologically interesting position to be in to have parents who are porn stars. I mean, just just think about it, John. Think about it now. Your dad is not a dentist, and your mum mm-hmm. is, is not a teacher. They're both porn actors. I mean, how would you deal with that? It's a, it, it's a strange one. I imagine it will have a profound effect on your um, your perception of sexuality. Um, mm. You won't have been able to escape. I mean, you, there's no way you can have not seen your your your, your parents in those situations. Surely, your friends would yeah. have gone. Ha ha! Look, it's your mum. Well, as dad I said, you know, they would have they would have at, at, at very best would have would have put some printouts in his school locker, kind of thing. You would imagine so. Mm. Um, so, and I'm glad I haven't seen like my, course, my parents have never had sex which is well yeah I mean, that, uh, most parents haven't but imagine you were forced into the position of realising that yes they have because there's a DVD of them doing it being part they're doing it I beg your pardon being passed along the playground yes yeah I would not like that. <laughs> I just thought the idea of the idea of my parents doing it to be passed around the playground. Would... yeah but that, that's exactly yes. what this, this, this boy is probably <laughs> experienced yeah interesting I suppose, actually, after a while, because that is his, the milieu of his whole life, it's not extraordinary to him, and therefore he's not shocked or astounded by it. It's just existential. Well, that's the way things are, and they've always been. And yes, it's true. I mean, it's difficult to tell just by looking at somebody who's been interviewed in his performances, but he doesn't seem to be particularly screwed up from <laughs> the little I can tell, from the little I've seen of his interviews and so on. Yeah. I just don't, I want to talk, move on and talk about the humble indie bundle. Why why I prefer why don't you want to talk about porn? Oh okay, we can carry on talking about porn if you want to. 
Well, let's... Oh, no, but no, my point about bringing this up is now, of course, you have to boycott this, this boy's future career because his dad's being an arse. Well, you don't have to boycott his. That's ridiculous. You can't, you know, you can't... You know, the sins, sins of the father visited on the son. Exactly, and I don't think that's something you should be perpetuating. John, they are yes. visited. <laughs> they are, are they? They're very, very. I think that I think I think that's a much abused uh, passage, and I think that um, it's actually an extremely rather like rather like but like, rather like his mum. <laughs> I think it's it's a good joke. Rather abused. I'm very proud passage. of that. Um, I am proud. But not uh, as proud as his dad is in those videos that he kept being... That didn't really work that time. It, no, I think that's a much of his passion. I think that actually that's an extremely astute perception of uh, the reality of um, uh, how of, of the the passage of abuse. So um, the sins of a father visited on the son is normally interpreted by Christians to say, oh, if your great-granddad was in the mace, it was, a, it was a Freemason, then that's why your weeds keep growing in the garden or whatever silly superstitious nonsense mm. is claimed... Um, whereas in fact, if you think, if a, if a father f- sexually abuses a son, that son has a f- vastly increased chance of going on to become sexually abusive to others. Uh, you know, fright is like a 40% chance or something frighteningly high. Um, that's a, a, and I think it's just a very astute understanding that, uh, patterns of parenting pass on to young, to, to children and then children pass those patterns on to their children and these things perpetuate through a family. Mm. Um, Perhaps. Perhaps. Anyway, you were, you, were, you were going to talk about the humble indie bundle. But before that, mm-hmm. you talked about Christianity. And I have to um, give you a funny story. Um, okay. I, I, I retweeted somebody else's mentioning of it the other day, and there was a link to it. So if we, you go back in my tweet history, you'll probably find it. Um, a, an American pastor was showing his faith by going around handling willy-nilly dangerous and poisonous snakes indeed because apparently there's a if you have enough faith you can handle snakes and you won't die <laughs> that's right that's what there's god some, promised there's some, a, there is some passage somewhere apparently and so he was handling some passage. these snakes and he was cuddling a rattlesnake and so on can you guess what happened next um i'm assuming what happened is the snake and him became fast friends and spent the rest of their lives together having happy adventures in an open top sports car Better than that, um, yes. Jesus loved him so much that Jesus wanted to see him quite quickly. <laughs> so, the, so, so, the, so, so the snake hastened his appointment. Oh, that's um, very generous of the snake. Of, of course, this is really true faith because the same thing had happened to his father in front of him twenty years before. No, yeah. there you go. Sin so, of the father. So there you are, <laughs> and, and apparently um, he was trying. He said, "It's a before he he died." He said, "It's a great shame that." Uh, this tradition is dying out and it's trying to revive it. So there you are. I suspect that this is something you might be able to instigate in your church. What would you like me to instigate? Bring lots of poisonous snakes in and see what happens. (laughs) This is a good idea. Mark Wolford, a flamboyant Pentecostal pastor from West Virginia, whose serpent-handling talents were profiled last November in the Washington Post magazine. This is from the Washington Post. Yeah. Hoped the outdoor service he planned for Sunday in an isolated skate park would be a homecoming like the old days, full of folks speaking in tongues, handling snakes, and having a great time. Yes. (laughs) But it was not the sort of homecoming he foresaw. Well, he did go home to a certain extent. He did. It was a very quick homecoming. Um, Mm. He died late on Sunday. He was only 44. What an idiot. Hmm. And then if you look further down in the article, his father did the same thing. He he believed the Bible mandates that Christians handle serpents to test their faith in God, and that if they are bitten, they trust in God alone to heal them. Oh, good. (laughs) You don't need any antidote. Yes. So there you are. (laughs) I think that's it. As I said, that's a tradition you should certainly revive in your church. Oh, wow. Okay, so... Oh, gosh. Deary me. Yes, I think so. I think I shall start... We'll start with grass snakes. And we'll yes. work our way up from there. I have faith that these grass snakes will do me no harm. <laughs> they might give me a bit of a nip, but I trust God to heal it. Yes. Actually, you just stick to grass snakes. I think they'll be perfectly good for the faith. <laughs> 
So I want to discuss the Hummel Bundle because I know this is the point we keep coming back to, but I just think it's worth. And people do it. complain when we talk about games, so we'll talk about. Oh no, no, I'm not. It's not. I'm not going to be talking about the games at all. Okay. Um, and you mostly bring it up, games. I try not to. Yeah, exactly. Um, the uh, this is uh, a collection. It happens to be a collection of five games so far. They tend to add games on top. Uh, as these things and we've go mentioned on. the humble indie bundle before, but yes, they, sure they repeat they give repeated offers, don't they? That's right. This is their fifth straight bundle, although they've done many more than that. They've done and they've done quite a few gay ones. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and so it's very very it's their traditional setup. Four games you can get for any price for as low as one cent. Um, and then if if you need to pay over the average price that's being paid to get the fifth game, which in this case is Bastion. Mm. Um, that's obviously an incentive. I don't think they began this way, but this is an incentive to encourage people not just to throw down a cent. But right now, if you paid one cent, you would get a copy of Amnesia the Dark Cent, one of the, the most terrifying and brilliant horror games ever made. Psychonauts, one of my all-time favourite games, a wonderful platformer. Limbo, a really nice 2D platformer, quite short though. Super would I Brothers, like that one? Uh, I don't know, you might do. Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery, the uh, iPhone game that's uh, come to PC. Um, so you get all of those, and you can give your money to the Electronic Frontier Foundation and to Child's Play, the two two different gaming-related charities. What's, you also a child, get, what's a Child's Play? Child's Play is a charity that was started, I think it might have been started by the Penny Arcade guys, but I'm not certain. They certainly heavily endorse it, which uh, provides, the, the money that goes to it provides gaming facilities to children in hospitals. Ah, I see. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you, you choose how much you wish to pay, as low as one cent, as much as you can possibly go to, and then you choose how that money is divided between the developers, the charities, and a tip to the Humble team So they, for, their, for them. You can choose to give them nothing if you wish, or you can give them it all. You, you can sit, choose how you want to split that money up. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something you can get for free. This started at... It was currently 20 past 10 in the morning, this started at 6 p.m. last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, care to guess how many have been purchased so far? Probably two or three thousand. Two hundred and twenty-six thousand eight hundred and seventeen. Twenty eight hundred eight hundred twenty-one. Eight hundred twenty-two. Eight hundred twenty-four. Twenty-five. Twenty-seven. And at, at a penny each, they've probably made about two thousand pounds. One million seven hundred thirty thousand three hundred and six seventy nine three hundred eighty nine three hundred ninety six four hundred six four hundred four hundred four hundred sixty five four hundred seventy. Oh, that's why Graham Payne told me that Linux users are the most generous. Indeed, and this is always the case. These proportions never change. Uh, average Windows payment is seven dollars and nine nine cents. Average Mac is nine dollars and twelve cents. Average Linux is eleven dollars and eighty-seven cents. Of course, I think that's a matter of enculturation, though. Linux users are are nicer are, people. Well, no, yes, but yes. well, no. Linux yes. users can, can be oh, yes. so. Linux, uh, um, uh, amongst, nicer amongst computer users, Linux users have been by far the most obnoxious and vile I've encountered. They're however, people. however, um, they are. It's the it's the culture within Linux to pay for things that are free. And to be generous, and to be yes, indeed, I love it, and I think it's wonderful, and 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 I love how they always prove themselves in these bundles. I mean, it's not, it's absolutely not the culture amongst Windows users to pay for things that are free. No, but it's still interesting because seven seven dollars fifty sounds about the sort of average you would predict if you were just putting your thumb in the air, kind of thing. So it's interesting how that has been the case. Yes, absolutely, and so that you know, people are people say, oh yes, but you have to pay over the average to get. Bastion. Yes, but you have to pay. The average is only as high as it is because everyone is willing to do that. Yes, the average um, is made by people. I wonder indeed. what uh, if anybody has decided to tip the hub, the bundle people. I would be all sorry for them and give them my money because I bet you nobody is bothering. Sorry, say that again? I wonder if anybody is allocating their money to the bundle people to tip them. Oh, they tend to do very well. I'm going to be interviewing them soon, and you see, um, yeah. I will find I, out. I'll tell you, if I were purchasing this, I would give none of the money to the charity. Because? I, I disapprove of indirect gimmicky charity giving. If you're going to give money to charity, just give money to charity. But you can give... Don't, a- don't, run, don't run silly, wacky races. Don't sit in a thing of baked beans. Don't do it in exchange for a game or whatever. Just give some money to some charity, and that's it. But you could give 100% of the money to charity here. Well, what I suggest is that people buy the game and give it to the people who produced the game and the people who helped to distribute the game 
and then give that same amount of money again to a charity of your choice. Sure. Or you could just double up the amount you're paying, give half it. Oh, come on, giving money to the EFF is a worthy cause. Yes, and you should do that anyway. So there you so go. You don't need to be bribed with a with with a horror game to do it. I, well, I, which game of these would I most like? Because I, one of those. So I mean, maybe I'd like to play a platformer to remind myself you, of Amiga days. You don't like games, so you wouldn't really enjoy any of them. But well, no. The, no, I'll tell you something that interested me. Mm-hmm. The, the the one pejorative that you used, which was, oh, but it's a bit short. And I thought, hmm, maybe I'll put up with it then. That's something true. That I, doesn't demand that I sacrifice the rest of my natural life to, <laughs> to ingest it. The average pixels. game is now around seven hours, six, seven hours long, so I'm afraid gaming is more suited to your terrible lack of attention. Good. Um, I prefer that the average game were two hours long. The average game should be as long as the average film. Well, there you go, Limbo is about two hours long. The average game should be as long as the average film, why not? Um, because you don't say, oh, that film wasn't long enough, it, it was only seven hours. Yes, but you're not participatory in a film, and that's the significant difference. Yeah, that's, that's right, because when you're, when, you're, when you're sitting in front of a film, you're not participating, your brain is switched off, and you're in a vegetative state, that's right, yes. No, you obviously you know yeah, exactly Whereas, of course, I mean. waggling, waggling a joystick is the <laughs> sine qua non of participation. No argument about gaming is, is better framed than when using the word joystick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's just I'd like to make it clear from the start I haven't thought about games since 1987 when last did you use a joystick an actual physical joystick I, I really cannot remember an enormous because I don't play fl- play flight sims an enormous amount of time ago but if you're using flight sims you would tend to use um, something more like an analogue yoke you wouldn't use the traditional yes if you're going joystick. oh yeah it's a traditional joystick but yeah I would say but since they actually call them joysticks in aeroplanes yes um, I think that's a reasonable use of the word yeah. But yes, you can get those uh, flight sticks, which are enormously expensive and presumably very good, but it's not something that interests me. I but it is something one. that interests you, interestingly enough. I did have one once. Yes, I would have thought so. Hmm. Microsoft oh, flight. I just like the fact that this is, this is you know, it's now $1.73 million dollars that's been raised in 12 hours, 14 oh. hours. Oh, um, what is this? There was a lady on Kickstarter. By the way, I want to remind our listeners that we introduced them to Kickstarter before every little kid and his dog... This is true, with the headphones. Well before that. Oh, we did, before the headphones. Remember when we did our solo podcasts? Well, mine was supposed to be solo. Mm -hmm. You chickened (laughs) out and did it with with a science lady. Do you remember? Mm -hmm. That lady who got published in Nature. Yeah. My talk was introducing people to the Muse Open project, which was raising money on Kickstarter. Early days. Do you remember? I do. And I even discussed how I thought Kickstarter and projects like it would be more influential in the future. You are a prescient man. I'm a soothsayer. This is true. If only people listened to our podcast, they'd know where to invest their stock markets. Where should we invest our stock markets? Well, Facebook, of course. That's gone terribly well. That has, hasn't it? And uh, I noticed that Zynga is now uh, an awful lot cheaper to buy their shares than when they launched them. Do you know, I am oddly proud that I don't really know what a Zynga are. Well, it's just a company that makes horrible Facebook games. Oh, one of those. Well, of course I wouldn't know then. Um, they are I, responsible for Farmville and so forth. But what they're most famous for is taking other people or stealing other people's ideas um, and then making I a slightly inferior you can steal. And, and I don't believe you can steal it. an idea. I believe that you just do copying, things. Copying someone's idea. Can you let me know whether the youth are still enamoured with Facebook as they were a year ago? I'm hoping not, but you encounter more youth than I do. Yes. Do you know, when it's it an interesting cool. conversation with a group of 17-year-olds recently when I asked um, whether they use... I said, I am, and they looked at me like I was insane. I said, instant messaging. And they said, what's that? And I oh, said, good. you know, like MSN, AOL, um, you know, what are you talking about? And I said, oh, you mean Skype? I thought that was very interesting. Mm. Um, so Skype is... The, they, they use it... To, because Skype, of course, is, is much... is You can be used as an, as just an IM, or it can be used as a telephone, or it can be used as video chat. So I suppose it makes more sense for them just to focus on one one output. Right. It's, the, it's just interesting. The entire concept of instant messaging was lost on a group of 17-year-olds. That's weird. I mean... Mm. 
Do they? And I bet you, if you try to um, describe to them what IRC was, they would look <laughs> at you completely blankly. I tried to explain. I actually did explain to them at ICQ in the live chat, and they all said they all reacted saying, "Oh my goodness, that sounds brilliant! I wish it. They wished it. Skype worked that way." No, but um, what's also what's particularly interesting is we had all these systems as completely open, non-privatized protocols mm-hmm. years ago. You know, things like Usenet. Things like IRC were all based on agreed protocols which weren't run by one obnoxious American in a hoodie, but were just a distributed system. And it's sad that those systems have disappeared, or they haven't disappeared, but have been marginalized. And what's taken their place are centralized, proprietary systems, easy to censor, easy to uh, distort, and whose primary motivations are not the users, but of course the advertisers. Uh, for whom the users are just fodders. So it, it, it's sad that the trajectory of the Internet's gone that way. It's almost as if we started... Imagine we'd started with the World Wide Web and then migrated to CompuServe. <laughs> yes. And, and a lot of the Internet's technologies are doing that. You know, apps are a prime example of this. You know, open systems that are compatible with multiple platforms. It's now apparently a good idea that they should not be open and compatible with multiple platforms but should be uh, an app that runs on just one and what's particularly odd about that is m- I'd say I'm not exaggerating when I say maybe 80% of all apps merely do a fairly bad re-representation of what's on the mobile website anyway and that's very annoying It's interesting that Google counter this quite significantly, their applications work seamlessly across your PC and your, f- your phone and your uh, tablet and, and everything which mm. is nice well, that's why, despite Google's issues, I still support them more than I support any other company at the moment, um, because it's in their business interests not to be particularly evil right now. Yeah, at the moment, yes. Mm. I just know ICQ is still going, and it still has the exact same uh, logo. Does it still have the all the world's most messy homepage? Do you remember it? I don't, it's, 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 it's not. It's a really ex- clean, tidy homepage now. Yeah. Um, advertising... I see, <laughs> ICQ Messenger for Android. <laughs> yes, that's I didn't think way. it even existed anymore. I thought it'd been completely consumed by AOL. Who bought? They, I'm sure AOL bought it, didn't they? Yeah, I had a very um, early ICQ number one four one zero three nine three. What a beautifully <laughs> balanced you, number! You were so proud of having a six-digit ICQ number. Six-digit ICQ number that was beautifully balanced one four one zero three nine three. In fact, I remember my ICQ number now shows what a beautiful number it was. That's true. Hmm. I'm trying to see. So, it seems to be independent now, and they seem to be owned by ICQ LLC. Right. I'm oh, sure. Right. I'm sure AOL bought ICQ. AOL bought everything, and then they broke. Yes. That's really classy um, when you see a van with um, www.fish.com or fish973 at aol.com as the email address, or worse. What's worse, fish93 at aol.com or fish93 at hotmail.com? Hotmail is worse. Hotmail is worse, even worse than AOL, yes. Anyone who uses Hotmail just probably needs to be executed. Do you remember when we had that rule on on Bemley, the old mailing list? Which, of course, is still going. Yes. Um, But if someone signed up with an AOL or a a Hotmail account, we knew that they were going to be trouble. They were. What would we? What was the term we had for? We just called them AOLers, didn't we, or something like that? I don't. I don't suppose that children these days really use email that much, do they? Uh, no, I think you communicate via Facebook and via. Um, and I, when I say that, I'm sure I think they do use email, but I think email's much more of a of a pragmatic tool than a communication device. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 a useful way of sending information back and forth. But if you're going to if you're going to chat, it's much better to live chat or to Facebook chat or, um, you know, or Skype as it seems to be so very popular. Yes, do you? I don't like Skype as it's Microsoft Microsoft Skype. Microsoft Skype. You see, that's it, it's proprietary. It's all doing there are, brought there are perfect, to you by Microsoft Skype. There are perfectly good open solutions like you know your average SIP client, but. Then why are we using Skype right now? Because you demanded we do. I did no demand no such thing. You did. You said, ooh, let's use Skype. <laughs> I suggested it. Then you should have said, no, John, don't be so such an ignorant buffoon. Well, I give up with you sometimes. Do you? I am a disappointment, aren't I? Can you tell me why 
you refused to meet me this week and have resorted to this bad simulcre instead? Um, this week, just because I've been very busy, next week's even worse. But you're away next week, aren't you? So we're going yeah. to have another week off next week. Yes. Um, we have to wish everybody a very happy oh, we, yes. 60 years of Queen Day. That's right. 60 years since she was formed in the uh, laboratory. Well, no, she wasn't formed in the laboratory. They, they injected uh, hormones in her in the hive, so she grew huge and bloated and <laughs> laid lots of eggs. That's true. And mm. since then, the British people have been running around scurrying, bringing her food as fast as they can, and she uh, impregnates, not impregnate, no, as we impregnate her, and she spawns more and more. Yes. Uh, sadly, her progeny that she spawned haven't been that brilliant. It's where British people come from, is... Uh, yeah, the Queen's... Queen's massive womb. Yes. All British people, that's why I'm proud not to be one. You are now, though. I've, I've adopted you as fully British. I'm not. We heard there was a... That's true, heard, the Welsh lady won't accept you. There was, there was a Welsh lady on the radio the other day. Do you want to uh, praise it, John? Because I think right. it's an amusing tale. <laughs> so this... It was a... It proved that I'm not British, by the it way. It did. It did. Absolutely proved mm. it. I wonder what I am. I, I suppose I'm not half Welsh either. Um, she, no, you're English. And 100% English now. Yes. So this lady was on uh, Jeremy Vine's programme on, B- on Radio 2. Now, there a is ranting no... old lady. Now, if you want to find the lowest form of life, listen to... Oh my goodness, Jeremy Vine is dreadful, isn't he? Mm. Um, and so he's on his, his show, and he this, he's got David Davies MP in. Not a man I don't either of us had any particular MP, fondness yeah. beforehand. Um, and this Welsh lady phones up and starts shrieking down the phone in Welsh. Um, and so this is obviously being set up to be a traditional... Um, hey, the, you're a Tory, you don't know Welsh, and you're the, just nuts. Yes, and the English are trying to stop the Welsh from being able to speak their language. It's an oppression of our peoples, and we should be allowed to have Welsh, even though currently Welsh is obligatory in all schools. I think David Davis was arguing that that's beyond stupid, yeah. and that it should be a voluntary choice of whether you learn People a pointless dead language or not. to learn a, a dead language. A right? language that only 17 people exclusively speak in mm. you know, the whole of Wales. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so he, um, he was on, and she's shrieking at him in Welsh, and, and that's how it begins, so you can carry on from there. Well, she's shrieking at him in Welsh, obviously, so hey, you don't understand a word I'm saying. <laughs> yes. And, and what David Davis did quite interestingly is that he started speaking to her fluently in Welsh afterwards basically saying what you said made little sense um, <laughs> because it's grammatically flawed um what the hell are you talking about in Welsh at which point she clearly didn't understand him so to speak in English and she revealed that her birthright had been robbed from her so they she put together that little screed with her daughter the night before so that it, she could prove her birthright and so on and and she said and she was going on about how um Welsh language is more important than Jesus and honey and, you know, the usual nonsense that they go on mm-hmm. about and oppression this, oppression that, birthright and every person in the whole Welsh universe must be forced to learn Welsh every second of the day and the moment they stop learning Welsh they should be buried in a disused coal mine or something like <laughs> That's that. That's right, yes. And, and then she said, well, where? what about you? Are you Welsh? She said, yes, I am Welsh. He says, aha, but were you born in Wales? He said, no, I wasn't born. Aha, well, you're not Welsh then. So, <laughs> well, know, she didn't say, no, that's not... I think in fairness she said, well, if you're not born in Wales, then you're Welsh! Yes. Uh, you're English! Uh, yeah, you're English, exactly. And, there, uh, and he correctly said, well, uh, you know, that's... We'll go, why don't you go back to the BNP then, because that's exactly the sort of um, soil racism that the BNP spout. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, she didn't quite understand the point he was making and just started being even more unpleasant. And unhinged. And unhinged. And he said, you know, this is typical of the sort of chippy nonsense that we have to put up with as part of, uh, as, as part of uh, Welsh identity these days sometimes. And I've seen it before uh, on... Uh, Rob Brydon did a, a, a comedy stand-up about his relationship with the Welsh language and how he found it difficult and so on. And... You know, he didn't know whether it was worth learning. It was quite gentle comedy. Mm-hmm. But he performed it in front of a Welsh audience. And his friend, who was in the audience, said that he almost walked out. He found it too painful to listen to. He couldn't, he couldn't deal with, with the language being questioned in any way. <laughs> this totemic, horrible Nazi-like um, 
And, and I, I, don't, I just want to just just jump in. People, I just want to jump in. People, no, no, next stop. Next, next stop. People say Nazi like all the time. Nick, I just want to stress Nick doesn't. No, and this is genuinely Nazi-like. Mm-hmm. The fetishization of a very specific aspect of culture to the exclusion of everybody and around which it's very easy to then build an ethnic identity which excludes others due to what she said, birthright. You know, yes. we're talking about language in the blood there. Yes. It's frightening. Absolutely. And, 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 and uh, he called her out on it, to be fair. And it was great. Yes, I've never had any a moment, a moment for David Davies before, but he was no. just to hear a politician say to someone, oh, just go and join the BNP where you belong. Yeah, was I was joy. Very, I'll tell you what was refreshing. He didn't try sucking up to her or patronising no. her. No. Which I think, and whatever, wherever the politician comes from, whatever party they come from, that is very refreshing. Say, actually, I'm not going to pretend that I'm ever going to get this person vote or anybody like her vote so I'm not going to patronise her and I'm going to let raw and he did I know it was great and she just went repeating birthright many yes. more times it's a birthright you're English you're coming here and you tell us what we can do and it's a exactly that was a very good impression of her I thought it was uh, uh, and it's sad because the same thing is beginning to happen in Scotland now as well with Gaelic and apparently in, in Ireland now, uh, I was told by somebody who lives in Northern Ireland that, you know, children are forced to learn Irish Gaelic and that kind of thing as well, which is wasting their time. But, you know, God forbid these languages should be allowed to have a dignified, peaceful death. They're being <laughs> kept right. on these horrible resuscitators and being put on these drips and <laughs> spending huge amounts of money to keep them barely alive. I don't mind when a language naturally or even slightly unnaturally dies out as long as we have a record of it and you know historians and linguists can can keep studying it and it's kept alive in that sense but i don't care that it's spoken at the post office or not but language is inherent in our culture nick it's more important i think it's more important um what people say than the words they used to say it surely no, 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 it's, it's very important to culture. And well, without our language, we'll all die. Well, I'd love to speak to people like her and say, well, what about your language makes your culture impossible without it? It'd be interesting to speak to uh, the French about that, because, of course, this is their... Uh, their, their well, not their, not all of, most, I'm sure most people in France can give a toss, but, um, you know, the authorities in France are absolutely... Well, uh, the Academy of Francais, which they have to keep inventing ridiculous uh, parallels for very useful English phrases. But there's, you know, there are laws on French radio, you can only play a certain amount of English language music. Quebec, French Canada is the same. Yes, indeed. They're ridiculous. In fact, in Montreal... It's it's petty insecurity at the the lowest level. And it's... And I find it very sad that it's given an allowance that other forms of bigotry and pettiness aren't. If you have a, if you run a company in Montreal, um, and even if the vast majority of your employees are from overseas, if it is found that French isn't the primary language spoken and communicated in within that company, you are in enormous amounts of trouble. Yeah. And there's the same issues in Wales as well. Um, uh, we, Victoria, as part of a professional duties they've they've looked at employment in wales and you are discriminated against if you can't speak welsh because they have to tick a box especially in public service interesting um and you know i'm prepared to say that in any scenario i don't accept this i think israel's biggest mistake was resurrecting uh hebrew as a modern day language should have there should have been an english country or maybe um Maybe Yiddish or something else, but but English would have been fine. And it's not, and it's very easy for me to say. You might argue because, of course, I was born speaking English, so of course I'm going to have that view that it should be the lingua franca. Ironic that we use the word franca for for English. But as I've said before, if somebody wants to decide that Spanish be the lingua franca and force us all to learn Spanish, and that's it, that's what everybody speaks, that's fine as well. But I think having a common language as the general language of discourse is a healthy thing i don't see it as unhealthy and what little we lose by the nuances that other languages bring the 
understanding and coherent global culture that would spring forth, I think, is more valuable. So sue, so sue me, Quebecois. <laughs> I'm I'm somewhat impressed that you were born speaking English. This is I remarkable. I, I popped out and Hello mother, hello father. Good day, I'm rather peckish. <laughs> That's a, quite the achievement. It it is, but then I do have achievements. Right, it's time to stop. Shall we stop now? Would you like to know a secret? Yeah. Would you like this is going to unsettle you greatly? Go on then. I've recorded this entire episode in my pants. What, you've put the microphone in your underwear? That's right, I climbed inside my enormous parachute-like pants. <laughs> oh, goodness. I haven't got round to getting dressed yet today. Pants and a t-shirt. Well, at least you're wearing a t-shirt. That's true. I had the impression that you were literally sitting around in just your pants. That's true. And they're not, like, briefs or something clinging, either. No, so in fact, what you're saying is, I've been recording this wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Shorts with a hole in the front where your winky could show through. Yeah, but it's got a, it's, it's got one of those annoying winky prevention buttons, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. <laughs> There's always nice. I don't know why they bother with that. I don't know anyone who's ever opened the flat. Like, oh, I'm just going for a week. I'm going to undo the button in the front of my pants rather than mm. just pull them down at the front like everyone yeah. does. Ludicrous. Very silly. We can just... It's okay. You can just make them go flat all the way around. Don't need an opening. Thank you. Yes. Well, that's been a recording. I'd like Uh to wish everybody happy Queen's Day and let's hope that we'll do this again sometime in person. That would be nice. Well, I'm in in London the week after next anyway, so I shall... uh, Podcast at rubdoings.com. So no episode next week, but do get in touch with us. I'm sorry to the person who did email this week who asked us lots of great questions to discuss and we've completely forgotten to read it. Uh, can Can we give people homework? Tell, sure, them that they have to, tell them that they have to listen to a previous episode and give comments about it. Let's pick a number f- between 1 and 108 uh, at random. I don't understand what the, why they need to do this. Won't they have listened to it before? Episode 42. 42 and 72. You have to listen to both of them. Okay. And then what do they have to do with that? They have to send a concise review of each okay. episode and give it stars out of five. Out of five. Mm. Um, and they need to send that to podcast at rumdoings.com correct um, uh, twitter us we're at uh, rumdoings although at botherer is just as good no it and, isn't uh, hashtag rumdoings um, and and um, leave a review on iTunes um, à tout à l'heure thank you for listening I do appreciate that people do I love it the fact that people do actually listen to this it's great yes I don't like what people say people listen to this rubbish it's not rubbish it's quite good it's great it's not Goodbye. Great. It's quite good. It's Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.